Commander Shepard has been recovered. The Lazarus Project will proceed as well. to the Lazarus Project podcast. This is episode 14, Mass Effect podcast discussing its characters, lore, theory, and opinion. Podcast is recorded live in the Ploppy 54 Gaming Discord server, so come join us there to listen to the raw, unedited version. All the details that you need can be found in the show notes. My name is Tim, also known as Ploppy 54, and joining me today is my co-host. Me. Craig. <laughs> Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> In this episode, we're going to be talking all things Liara. I'm going to be a bit of a character trait on her, look at her appearances in all three games and the comic and uh, the DLC as well that she's been in as well. So we'll uh, be giving you our thoughts on her. But first, it's the news. Welcome to Citadel Newsnet. I'm Emily Wong. Do we have any news? I was waiting to ask you that. <laughs> Didn't even think of that. There was a post I saw as well that went uh, a bit nuts. One person had said that the internet went crazy when they, they showed Miranda's butt in that scene. And then everybody is absolutely praising the bare sex that you can have in Baldur's Gate 3. And they're like, where's the logic? Why, why is this you know completely different than that? So I kind of see what they were getting at. But on the flip side of that, there was, yeah, the, when they, they removed it and they kind of lifted the, the camera angles uh, for the, the Legendary Edition, I, I yeah. can see why they've done that as well. It was... Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's two very different cases as well. Like, I feel like romance has its place in a game, but just obscurely showing butt shots when a character's telling you about her sister going missing, it just, yeah, to me, it just kind of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will be honest, if anything, I found it a bit distracting. Like, <laughs> but, I kind of get um, what they were trying to go, that they were visualizing that she, she's supposed to be the perfect woman and she's got the perfect curves. And Yeah, but we can see her body without the camera focusing on her butt. <laughs> Fair point. Um, so that, 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 <laughs> I, I honestly wasn't expecting you to start talking about Miranda's butt when we brought this up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it actually says on PC Gamer, launch weekend has seen Baldur's Gate 3 break into the top 10 all-time concurrent player counts on Steam, with 700,000 players on August 5th, 2023. Um, that is impressive. Yeah, and I think they said to somebody on their team i think it was marketing or something but they said to their the members of their team to set their expectations for a hundred thousand if they were lucky which i just i just think is kind of funny when you think about like the fact they got eight times that basically <laughs> but yeah it's 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 crazy because i mean an, another youtuber i was watching actually he said you just don't expect that kind of thing from like a hardcore rpg like it's it's not it's not mainstream. It's not. I mean, it's kind of mainstream with the budget that it had, 
but it, apparently it was like crowdfunded or something. And yeah. like it it was apparently off given it was apparently Microsoft offered to buy it, but they refused because they wanted the game to be one specific way. And I think because it was this specific way, people kind of some developers I'd imagine like Microsoft had an expectation that it would just be for a smaller, neat, more niche audience. But I think this just kind of shows that the RPG player base like is more open minded than you imagine. Like I think I think players are actually a lot more open minded or or maybe it's just the fact that a lot of D and D players played it or are playing it. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean even things like uh the whole narrative uh, aspect of it as well that that's been done. I mean you've got your like you, you it's almost like your Witcher kind of uh, side stories that there was you know one review that I was saying where you make a choice and you save a character's life and then a couple of hours later that character then shows up in another city that you go to who's then got another quest for you which you wouldn't have got if you didn't save their life and that quest then feeds back into the main quest um because of some decisions that you could possibly make which then leads to the original character that you saved in the first place having a, like a, a follow-up quest to it and it's like how that all intertwines and it's not just a oh yeah here go and find you know six bottles of whiskey for me that it completely you know the none of these kind of fetch quest nonsense it's all interwoven but it depends on your choices throughout the entire story so there's going to be avenues that are completely cut off to you if you didn't make the right choice how much of it have you played so far um literally just like the opening um, the opening segment are you playing as well no (laughs) i do want to um (laughs) but i just wondered if um because it sounded like you were quite knowledgeable in 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 the game so i just wondered no. no not at all um but i have heard that it's got more than one way to approach like a situation where you're talking to people and everything like and i feel like that's just another it's it's like we were saying earlier with fallout like the minute you add a voice protagonist you're limiting yourself a little bit more yeah. and apparently this game really thrives on the fact that it's not voiced because the facial animations are so much better and the different ways you can approach a situation and depending on the combination you choose you can wind up making the wrong choice and causing a fight to happen and things and um there's just so much variety as well from what i've heard and i just i mean i i'm i would like to say i'm not surprised it's done well but to be honest like i do you think RPGs are a little underrated in gaming in general? But it's just it's really nice to see that it's that it's doing so well. And I think it deserves it from from what I've been hearing. And you know, maybe when the price goes down, I'll buy it. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, if it's as expensive as it is and that many people are playing it, then all power to the developers because Yeah. You no, know, no no doubt this is really going to help them with any future projects they work on it has made me kind of want to go back because i did start uh, divinity original sin and 
it was one of those games where I was like, oh, I don't really know if I want to get into it or not. Yeah. But I can see me picking it up once I've done this and and trying giving that another go because it's the same sort of. It looks very similar and it has a lot of the same mechanics in it. Does it kind of have some of those Bioware elements? Do you think like because I've heard. I mean, from what I've seen, the gameplay I've seen, the conversations, the romance is very Bioware-y. Yeah. Is that, is that something that's new for them? Like, or or do you, do you know if they've done that in, like, Divinity? I think they did. Uh, they did some of it in Divinity 2. Because that got high praise, and that's apparently a lot better than the first one. Um, but okay. this is apparently... Um, this is kind of they've kind of taken what they've learned from those two games and then just ramped it ramped it right up well i mean i i wouldn't be surprised if like more content comes out of it because i mean i don't think it's an entirely online game but like any and every game kind of get updates nowadays i mean i know it's got co-op but it's not like a online mmo type situation yeah yeah, I think you can play co-op on it, but yeah, it's not something I'll be, I'll be doing. Um, any other news? There's a re-release for, De- for Red Dead Redemption. Um, to be honest, yeah, I, yeah, you've heard about that, have you? Yeah, I've heard it, that's uh, that's upset quite a lot of people, isn't it? Because everyone was hoping for a remake in the Red Dead Redemption Two style. Yeah. The thing is, um, though, I don't think Anning looks nice just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, for its time, it was really good. I mean, when you put it side by side with, with Red Redemption 2, then, yeah, it looks a bit dated, but... Yeah. I, it's still very playable. It's still... Yeah. I, I I enjoy playing Red Dead Redemption. It's the second one I actually struggle with. Um, That's a whole different reason. It's just slow. <laughs> But I do feel like remakes have their place in 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 certain games. But for Red Dead, it just doesn't feel right to me. If they did a remake of like if they actually did a remake of the original three Grand Theft Auto games instead of a remaster, I think that could have been amazing. Like yeah. re rebuilding all of these different locations, like Vice City and whatever, like that could have been amazing. And like if they remade Grand Theft Auto Four, even. Like those large scale cities and lived in, not lived in, but like those thriving environments. Those, I think those are the ones that you can really see a difference if they remake them. But like, if you're talking about like a, a desert in the Wild West, like who's going to really care if the, the dust or the sand looks slightly more realistic? Or, you know, the the wooden building looks slightly more realistic? Like, I feel like you can do a lot more if it's a, if it's more modern environment, there's a, it's a lot more warranted if there's a lot more in the environment to really appreciate. Yeah, yeah if, it, if it's just a bit barren with nothing to do, it, it kind of takes you out of the moment as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I would say Red Dead Redemption 1 is barren. I just mean like there's just not very much to make more real to begin with. Like, I mean, it's not, I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to say it's not barren, but I'm kind of describing it as if it is. <laughs> but like, <laughs> all these wooden buildings and things as opposed to tall skyscrapers and helicopters and tons of people. And I just feel like, do we know if they're even re-releasing Red Dead for like full price? Like, I don't know. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, it's um it comes bundled with the Undead Nightmare, the DLC. Yeah. But there's no there's no multiplayer and yeah, I think it's about sixty quid. Or That's ridiculous. Like that, Seventy, eighty dollars. That's mental. Again, <laughs> Again and all it is is just a port. PlayStation 4 port. Yeah, I think it's for Switch as well. Switch. It's, yeah. It's part of the reason why I never got a Switch, to be honest. It's just because it's filled or filled with Pokemon games that to me feel overpriced because it doesn't really feel like they needed to put very much effort in to begin with. Because you, you look at like these massive, crazy graphic games that take a long time to make. Pokemon to me doesn't seem like it takes that long. And then they charge you like 50 quid. And then the other games that they've got are the ports that are just older games that are re-released and for a lot higher price. This constant re-release at a high price is just, it makes absolutely no sense. Because I know some games That's nowadays, it. they some, some games nowadays are getting more expensive, which is fair enough. But if you're just re-releasing the same game, there's absolutely no reason like why you would charge somebody that much. No. Other than just, we no, want to make tons of money. just a cash grab in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the pro- it probably the doesn't. The of the game as well. Yeah. It's just Rockstar trying to make up for the fact that the only game that they've released since 2013 is Red Dead 2. I mean, to be fair, 2013 is only 10 years ago. But at the same time, a lot of mainstream like developers managed to get a game out once every four years. Unless I mean, you're Bioware. I suppose development time's getting longer now, isn't it, with with new technology and stuff. But Yeah. And I mean, Bioware's at least got a reason for how long they've been taking. Like, I know Bioware's had a lot of development trouble and a lot of just trouble with the team changing and everything. But I don't think Rockstar's got... I mean, I suppose the person in charge of Rockstar left... But I think that was pretty far into what they conceived as GTA 6. But anyway, this is a whole other tangent, I think. Um, and then obviously Starfield is out in about four weeks' time as of recording. Actually, by the time this one's edited and, and released, it's probably already out. <laughs> you have such little faith in me. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, just to prove you wrong now, I've got to get it done before then. <laughs> Um, so apparently there's early access. Apparently there's early access on the first of September. I I don't know how you get early access, but yeah, right. You got to buy cool. the like super deluxe version, don't you? Yeah. You get it from the first of September. But uh, if you're waiting like me, that they're just waiting for the Game Pass release. It's on the sixth of September, I think it is. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll look forward to it now that I've finally finished Fallout Four. So, for those of you who don't know, uh, Liara Tassoni is an Asari researcher who spent the last 50 years of her life studying the protein technology and its culture, specialising in the protein extinction. She was born in Thessia in 2077, making her the only 106 barely adult in Asari. She also has a great deal of insight into the proteins, is a highly trained user of biotics, and she has potential romance interest for either male or female shepherd. Uh, she goes on, on a bit of a journey, a bit of a character arc and changes uh, significantly from Mass Effect 1 through to Mass Effect 2 and then to Mass Effect 3. Uh, the Redemption comic book trilogy. 
and has her own DLC in Mass Effect 2, in which she becomes the Shadow Broker, and uh, then for Mass Effect, he rejoins the crew uh, for the finale. She can also be heard in uh, Mass Effect Andromeda as well, in some voice recordings. So what's your overall, if you were to write it in a, in a tweet, what would be your tweet of Liara to Sony? Liara is, I don't know, how, how do you, how do you like think of a tweet off the top of your head? Um, <laughs> she is just a, a very quick, short summary of what you currently think of uh, Liara. She's a great symbol of the games. I think. I think she's a very like, she she's she's just kind of, she's she's symbolic in like everything that Shepard is in those games. I think in a big way. I think in a really weird way, she's kind of the way you can see Shepard without seeing Shepard, because obviously anyone Shepard could be anyone. Like, yeah. I feel like she's a ref reflection of Shepard's experiences because she changes across those games because of Shepard. That's probably, that would probably be the most like out there tweet ever. But like, <laughs> that's. That's that's a way I think of explaining her, but like I don't know. She she's she's a dependable character who who changes quite drastically across those games. But she I does suppose you could say it's a, yeah. I I would I would say it's not like unbelievably drastically, but like. I think you could sell it as like a character arc kind of thing. I think if you don't read the comics, it doesn't feel natural. But I think from rereading re the comics, I think I can kind of see the the leap in how she changes. What would your summary be? Um, mine would be one of my favorite characters has a bit of a uh, 180 in her character arc but love where she ends up from where she started okay i think that's where i'll go with that but yeah i mean i i do i genuinely do like her i know there's quite a lot of people you're either she's a bit like marmite i think isn't she she either people hate her or they love her there's no kind of yeah middle ground i, I think... kind of get that uh the developers do seem to kind of push her onto you yeah. I do think a little bit that whilst the developers do push her onto you, I do think a lot of the companions in Mass Effect 1, so it's not just a Liara problem, like a lot of the Mass Effect 1 companions can not be there at a certain point in the story. Like a lot of them can be maybes, as I think Mac Walters put it. Um, like Ashley and Caden. Past Vermeer, whenever you do Vermeer, they could just not be in your party at all, not, not just be dead. Yeah. And that automatically limits how much they can be involved in cutscenes and in the story. And I think it's similar with Liara because you can you can wait until like the mission before the last one before you recruit her. I think thinking on it actually, I think her and Tally are the only ones you have to recruit. I mean, obviously yeah. you start with Kaden Ashley, but... Yeah, you've, you've got to have a certain amount of... You've got to be able to have two crew members, haven't you? So 
I think you're forced mm. you're forced to have Tally, aren't you? But if you yeah. shoot, if you kill Rex, and then Caden dies, so you've still got Garrus and Garrus and Tally, and then you get Liara right at the very end or something. So. Can you hear me out there? I'm trapped. I need help. Are you? Are you real? Oh no! Don't be stupid, Liara. Humans do not come here. You're hallucinating. Any suggestions on how we can help? Of course. What good is a hallucination if it can't offer false hope? It depends, I suppose. It depends if I'm going to romance her or not, or of when I pick her up. Because I do like the fact that if you leave her there in that first game, the longest possible time, that she goes slightly crazy, thinks mm. that you're you know, hallucinations, and then when you're back on the ship, she's asking all these questions. You're like, yeah, I know that. I know this. We know that. We know this. And she's like, oh, okay, so you don't really need my help then. <laughs> yeah, it does kind of feel a bit strange, doesn't it? Like it feels a, <laughs> it feels a bit out of place if you just... Because in, in a way, it makes more sense if you recruit her earlier and she helps you to figure this stuff out because she's got kind of expertise. Yeah. But then, like, yeah, having her show up instead of just be like, oh, okay, these are things that are happening. Okay, yeah. <laughs> this is all quite a lot of information to post her. <laughs> I think she kind of, kind of what she said. But I'd imagine in your first playthrough, you didn't wait to recruit her. You just kind of recruited her straight away. Yeah. Yeah, that was because it, it it started from the very start, isn't it? You know, here's your few leads, but you really probably want to go and get her first because she knows what she's talking about. So it's like, yeah, okay, I will get her then. Yeah, I didn't listen to them. <laughs> um, I will be honest, I didn't really like Mass Effect One. Can sometimes be a lot to take in, and sometimes it's hard to just kind of listen through a lot of the conversation, a lot of the cutscenes. So I wasn't really paying attention and it just kind of looked like, eh, sorry, scientist, don't really care. And then all the other stuff was like, go to this planet, go to this planet. I don't know why that other stuff was more appealing, but yeah, I, I waited and then I recruited her later on. And to be honest, the whole thing about her going crazy, that was just kind of annoying to me. I was just kind of like, why? I didn't, I didn't catch on until later on where I was just like, why are you insistent that I'm a hallucination? This is just, this is weird. This is annoying. And then as I was like, I think, leaving the building or something, fighting my way out, I was like, oh my God, this must be because I didn't recruit her until the end. Or, or, I, or I did all of these missions first. That's really quite clever. <laughs> um, but it, it did kind of annoy me, to be honest. And I don't, I think... I think she was my romance as well. So it was even weirder that, you know, she'd known me for like five minutes before she wanted to get into bed with my shepherd. So it's it's a little bit weird that you can recruit her so late into the game, but at the same time, it's kind of awesome. Yeah. I mean, there is, if you leave it too late, then you don't have enough cutscenes for it and you can't romance her. Yeah. I will be honest, actually, I think what I did was I did pad out a little bit by actually doing side content. Yeah, I, I usually generally try to avoid side contact content, but maybe that says a little too much about me if I do side content just so I can romance somebody. I don't know. It did feel a little bit like um, it was a lot of her just being an innocent Asari in the first game. Yeah. And just kind of 
being there a little bit, which yeah, I, mean, I think can just, be said for a lot of them. I mean, when, when you, if you if you really want to see how her personality changed, then you do really need to read the redemption. Is it redemption? It is redemption, yeah. Um, yeah. Because she has, she starts off as being quite her naive self, but she very quickly dispatches like three Torians with the biotics. Yeah. And you kind of see that she's got a lot of the naivety about her still, but she, you know, you can see her toughening up uh, throughout the comic series. And she, you know, she, be, she gets betrayed quite a few times and double crossed quite a few times. And, you know, that all adds to her by the time Mass Effect 2 rolls around, she's quoting her mother by saying that she will, you know, flay people with their mind. Have you faced an Asari commando unit before? Few humans have. I'll make it simple. Either you pay me, or I flay you alive with my mind. Yeah, I think she definitely just has a lot more interaction with people. Like, I think her obsession with Shepard kind of forces her to talk to a lot more people. Yeah. And go to a lot more places like Omega to get information about Shepard's body and whatever. And that helps her a little bit to... Like, she's in a situation where she's kind of forced to talk to people to find information and whatever. And that kind of helps her a little bit. But I also think, and this might... I mean, I kind of get somebody else's take on this just to kind of see different thoughts on 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 the side of Liara but somebody said that it seems like Liara's inspired by Shepard and I thought that was a really great way of putting it like um, Shepard's kind of like a parental figure that Liara needs like and it's it's really weird when you romance her after saying that but like she's she doesn't have anybody else after she meets Shepard. Like, after her mother dies, she's just got Shepard, and it kind of makes sense that she becomes obsessed. And she kind of learns little bits here and there about, like, what bravery is and heroism and whatever from Shepard. And as soon as the Normandy blows up, everybody else in the crew has somebody to go back to, and Liara doesn't. And... I don't know, there's something quite sad there, but I think her actions in the comic make all too much sense, to be honest, if nothing else. Yeah, well, so I can't really remember the uh, the other ones. I think she was in a couple of other ones, wasn't she, as well? Yeah, um, I did read a few recently. Um, there was one she was in that was after she became the Shadow Broker, and she's basically trying to get to... It's, it's, it's like it's a bridge between her being the Shadow Broker and her working at the Mars archives. So she finds out that there's an archive on Mars that they can get information on or something, and she gets led to a different archive before she finds out. Actually, I think the Mars archive... I don't know. Anyway, I think she finds a different archive 
that then leads her to the Mars, Mars Archive, I believe. Um, but yeah, she ends up like following this Grell who leads her down to this like underwater base or something and she finds this information and she actually speaks to the elusive man again, which is really cool actually because she has a few interactions with the elusive man that you don't even know about if you just play the games. Like yeah. she kind of, I think she goes to the elusive man's base in those initial comics that she's in. And it's quite cool, actually, that she's got a bit of a vendetta against the elusive man as well. And it does actually kind of make me think it would have been cooler to see her interact with the elusive man more in the games. Shepard. Elusive man. Fascinating race, the Protheans. They left all this for us to discover. But we I don't know, yeah, in, in, in that other comic, she she basically finds the Mars archives and she's kind of in a a bit of a rush to find any information she can for Hackett. And I believe there was a conversation that the elusive man has with her about how her methods um have changed, you know, the the broker's methods have changed and and obviously the broker's not as ruthless as they used to be because it used to not be Liara. And her agents are questioning um are questioning her and are being less loyal because they're not intimidated by her as the original broker. Does they might be with the original broker. I think it's really interesting that, you know, whilst she has changed across those games and she was the kind of person who hunted down the broker, you know, she's she still maintains that kindness and that heart. And as much as she kind of needs to be ruthless to keep those agents with her, she she doesn't let it change her. No. Well, I mean, I suppose she doesn't really, but... I don't know. She gets quite stressed in three, doesn't she? Yeah, but she, she's a lot of pressure, isn't it? A lot of she has a lot of agents under her control, and she says, "Give me five minutes, and I can start a war." Which I suppose, if you've got that kind of power, you could easily let it go to your head, couldn't you? Yeah, but I don't think she actually would start a war. No, but um, yeah. Well, as as we were saying, though, I do think her kind of original obsession kind of makes sense into how she changes in the second game. Well, I suppose they needed to as well, because they, they wouldn't have any reason for her to be in the rest of the game if she just stayed as the naive young archaeologist was with the So they needed to give her a new purpose, didn't they? Yeah, I mean... Digging up old ruins is kind of it works for the first when, game. That's for sure. Yeah, in a war situation where you're just trying to keep everything alive, you're not really kind of digging up the past. You're just trying to save what you've got at the moment. So, yeah, she kind of did need to make that change for for that for that for a war, you know. And there's not really a place for an archaeologist there. Yeah. What did you, what did you think about them 
not having her as a crew member in, in two. Um, I thought it was a really good way of doing it, to be honest. I think from both Shepard's point of view and from Ligara's point of view, it was needed. Like, you needed to be in a situation where, and this is going to sound really, really bad on my side of things, but I'm purely viewing it from like an objective point of view. But the player needed to explore their options, I think, in terms of romance. Because you're so you're so wedged into, oh, you get the space racist, or you get Liara, or you get the the horny Canadian, or you get Liara. You're kind of pushed, as we've said, to pick Liara. And then in the second game, you're in a situation where it's not really cheating. Like it's kind of established that some time has passed, like three years or something stupid. I know it doesn't feel that way for Shepard. It depends, I guess, on how hardcore you are being about it. But enough time has passed where it's rational for Shepard to see somebody else. And you can you can look to Jack or Miranda or so many other different kinds of characters that leaving Liara alone and to do her own thing is a really great way for, you know, the the player to have a chance to get to know other people in a more intimate way. Yeah. I must admit, I was quite disappointed at first, but um, I must, I really did enjoy the Shadow Broker in a DLC. I thought it was absolutely fantastic what they did with it in that. Yeah. And it was a nice treat to have her back as a, a crewmate just for that DLC. Yeah. I also just think after how obsessive she becomes about bringing Shepard back. She does kind of need to spend some time living her life without Shepard. Otherwise, it does get a little bit stalkery. Yeah. To a, to, to a degree. Um, I do think maybe there needed to be a bit more of a reason as to why she just sort of like just trusted Cerberus with Shepard and then just sort of Went after the broker instead. Yeah, I, I feel like she could. She could have maybe kept closer taps on Shepard. Again, maybe it makes her a bit more stalkery if she does. But <laughs> she's kind of crossed that line when she's like determined to search for this man's body, or man, but this person's body, depending on who you are. Yeah, and it's not like the alliance had the technology or the the ability to bring a. Shepherd back. No, yeah, exactly. And it just kind of, if this many people are saying that Shepherd's dead, I mean, if you're obsessed enough to want to see the body yourself, you kind of want to keep tabs, I'd imagine, on the body throughout the entire process, really. Although, actually, you know what? Thinking on it, at the end of that comic, comic. I think she was pretty convinced that Shepard really was dead after seeing it, seeing the body. But I don't know. I'm pretty sure Miranda hinted that they were going to do something pretty sadistic to try and keep Shepard alive or to bring Shepard back in some capacity. I don't, I don't think they said it outright, but they said something that implied it. Yeah. So Yeah, I think there was... You kind of get the uh, 
the Palpatine kind of <laughs> voice in your head, don't you? It's like um, there are some abilities that uh, are deemed unnatural. Yeah. Ranta's just looking at the corpse, turning to Liara and said, did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? <laughs> but yeah, I think Liara needs some time away from Shepard and Shepard needed some time away from Liara. Yeah. Yeah, it did work quite well. And to bring her back for three was, was a good idea too. As fun as the broker DLC is, I don't think Shepard needed to be there. Like... I feel like that is something Niara could have done on her own. Yeah, I suppose like it, it kind of works better if you're you've you've agreed to be a Spectre again, because yeah. you, you know you're kind of following up on like Spectre business, aren't you? Yeah, I guess so. I just feel like going after the broker is something that's personal to her, and I feel like having her just kind of wait for Shepard to arrive or depend on Shepard again to get her the information she needs to go after him. It's just kind of eh, like if she's going to become the broker, I feel like she should have found a way to get that information herself. Yeah. But I don't know. As I, said, yeah, I did enjoy it, doing it. I I like the, um, you know, you get to see her apartment and again, there's, there's quite a lot of stalkery stuff in there about Shepard in there. Um, yeah. She's, she's kind <laughs> of got a shrine. She's yeah. got a bit of a shrine going. It's um, some of his old armor and yeah. These were Shepard's undergarments that she got <laughs> under her pillow. <laughs> this was the lollipop stick that Shepard had, had his very first ice cream from. She's got a a speaker in her door that just says, "I should go" when she exits. <laughs> Brilliant. I think actually, in a, in a in a way, Liara is kind of too absent to rank her in my top top three characters. Like, I feel like she's not she's not that abs she's not really that present in one. I think a lot of characters are kind of just there in one, and then in two, yeah. she's not there at all. Well, save for the DLC. And then in yeah. three, she's kind of in there a little bit more, and it's nice that she's a bit more involved. But, I mean, if you think about it, Tully and Garrus are the only ones that are properly explored because they have the benefit of being in two as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, kind of... It's tricky, isn't it? Because you, 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 they want to bring new people in, but you still need that connection to the first game. And who do you bring back and who do you leave out? I think they made yeah. the right call with, with Garrus and Tally. And especially if you leave them to get together, you don't date them. I think that... Uh, we can agree to disagree there. Really? Yeah, because the Tally romance is just too sweet. <laughs> ah, she's like a little sister. You can't... Too weird. <laughs> See, to me, Ligara is like a sister. She's uh, a very strange sister with a strange obsession with with you, <laughs> but she's still a sister. <laughs> but I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm I'm quite happy, and I'm I'm quite happy with Liara not being in the second game. But 
I do think at the same time, there needed to be a way to have um, have a bit more of an active role in the story in the first game. Yeah, I suppose for its time as well, it was it was really good. But mm. you are looking like 2006, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, I mean by it's... today's standards, it, it, you know, it's very bland and very, you talk to them after the mission and that's it. There's nothing, nothing else. You do a mission, yeah. you talk to them, you do a mission, you talk to them. And also, I, I just, I know that the beacon kind of needed to happen at the start of the game, but that's kind of one of those moments where you think, why couldn't, I just, I wish Liara could have been there for that. Like, that's a pretty big moment that yeah. you would kind of want to have an archaeologist with you. But I don't know. I'm sure I had more notes now. I'm going to have a look. I like that. And I don't know if I'll just end up editing this in just to kind of have it fit and feel so random. <laughs> but in the first game, I think there's something to be said about how when you first meet Liara, she says that she's barely considered older than a child and no one respects her and treats her seriously and treats her work seriously. Yeah. Um, but when you talk to her, you kind of, you just talk to her like she's an older woman and you just talk to her like she's any other member of the crew who's considered an adult. And I think she likes the fact that she's being treated seriously and taken seriously. And when she says this, that, and the other about the Protheans, you believe her and you trust her in kind of a way that I imagine her people don't because of her age. And I think that's something to be said in why she cares about Shepard so much as well, is she's kind of, he or she is like the first person to to show trust in her and to show um just treat her like a person not treat her like a child yeah it's it's cute that she gets all flustered in one when she's trying to talk to you and you can see the, the childlike coming out of her i just say childlike but i suppose she would be the equivalent of being like early 20s wouldn't she yeah or late teens or something um but yeah you can see that that kind of innocence about her coming out when she's she's getting all flustered talking to you contract that with three and you know she's lifting people up with her biotics and then executing them at point blank range so she's definitely grown yeah yeah i mean yeah she's 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 still got childlike behaviors i suppose like a child she's still got a childlike innocence in the first game but uh yeah for three i mean i i do like that kind of memory box thing that she does uh, i was a bit disappointed that they had gotten rid of the shadow broker ship but they did make a good, a good reason for it. They explained it well. Yeah, yeah, like the um, elusive man infiltrated her ship or something, and she had to like send it crashing into a sun or something. I think. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think in general, from 
your literal first interaction with her on Mars, like you can kind of see that she's she's grown up and she can handle herself. Yeah. Uh, but you also do still see her vulnerable side, especially like when Thessia has been attacked. You know, all the, up until that point, it's like, oh yeah, we'll 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 do it, we'll stop him. We'll, you know, she's been the the tough tough one, and then as soon as her own home world is attacked, all that kind of facade is is gone, and you know, you actually get to see that you know it, the, the war is effective. Protheans made it a lie all along, and I abandoned my people to hunt for the catalyst. You'd never do that. They're dying by the millions. I told those people on Thessia we'd save them. How many Asari died because I demanded their help? None. Shepard, that isn't true. You've been warning your people for four years, Liara. There's not a yeah. damn thing you should feel guilty about. I do think a little bit that, I mean, I, I do really like that moment. I think it says it does a lot for her character, and I, I wish more characters had moments like that. But that's exactly, I think, the problem is you get that moment with her. You get a proper cutscene where she's broken. she's been broken by losing a planet, and you kind of have those moments where you're having these dreams about losing that kid and not being able to save that kid. and. It just feels like those are two things that are interwoven to kind of, again, push you to romance Liara, because it's kind of a you being there for her, she being there for you kind of thing. And I just yeah. wish she. It's a great moment. It's a really great moment, and it's and it kind of grounds her a little bit more, and not just makes her perfect. But it's a shame you don't get more of that with other companions. You know, the the war is affecting everyone. And it's it's not just affecting her. Like, um, Tully does have little bits here and there. Like, she gets drunk, I think, in one scenario. I can't remember. Oh, it was, I think it was Miranda or something. It was, it was when you, when you go to Sanctuary, for some reason, uh, Tully takes it hard and goes on drinks spree or something. She just drinks herself under the table in the Normandy. Yeah. But it just feels like, hey, that that's a really strange scenario for her to take quite personally. Like, I feel like something about her people could have been done to kind of merit that. Like, I don't know what, but maybe if they made, because I think Cal Riga, this is, a, this is a weird tangent from Tali, from Liara, sorry. But I think Cal Riga dies in like a mail message or something. Like yeah. you get an email saying that he's died. I feel like if you got that in a voice message or if you got that in a side mission, that could warrant her to be drinking a little bit more. Like she, you kind of, she, you can't visualize necessarily all the Corians dying or something. I mean, unless you choose all the Corians dying, but I think she'll just kill herself, um, which makes sense anyway, I guess. But if she hears all these news reports about her people suffering, maybe then that warrants her drinking a bit more. And then you get that in a cutscene rather than just sort of a, you know, one of those things where you're just kind of lurking and you hear her talking in the room. Like, that could have been a full-on conversational cutscene where she's drinking herself, not to death, but she's drinking a lot. Yeah. Because of how much her people are suffering. So you get a little bit more of everyone is struggling. 
and everyone is going through something because of the war. Anyway, it was just another thing to point out. Like, I really like what they did with VR in that moment, but I do wish they'd done it with everyone else as well. Yeah. No, that kind of makes sense. But I mean, I suppose everybody kind of handles things differently, don't they? So Yeah. But I don't feel everyone is, like, tough as nails, though, either. I don't think... I think everyone... I don't think anyone's really tough as nails in that crew. I think everyone's... I, I don't know. I, I just don't feel anyone is tough enough to just shrug off everything that's going on. I know, I know people handle things differently, but even if it's just somebody having a rage fit or something, depending on how they hang, handle that kind of stress, like, I don't know, yeah. no, no, nobody's, and it's kind of offensive to, to synthetics, but nobody's a robot, <laughs> except from Vigath and um, ED. But... The, I mean, even Shepard, he, you know, he, she takes a lot, but even in three, you see them crack at the seams, even to the point where you can snap at Joker and then not even have the opportunity to apologize. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I do feel like even with Joker, just getting more cutscenes about the situation with his sister as well would be nice. Yeah, but, um, yeah that was a missed opportunity there. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, in in general, I think Liara had a lot of nice moments. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Mac Walters, and you're listening to the Lazarus Project podcast. Commander Shepard was born on Mindwar, but never let what happened there define her. She was a soldier and a leader, one who made peace where she could. You know that scene where she's creating that time capsule for you, where she's got the whole sort of, she's got an entry about you in this time capsule about like your history and everything you accomplished? Yeah. I think that's yeah, a really, that's, it that's wasn't... a really it wasn't required and yet to add it in as a like a little scene i think it really helped with the story yeah and it's her character you know showing that you know she really wants to spread shepherd's word and stuff yeah and i think it does a little bit as well to it, I think it does a lot, not just for Liara, but it does a lot for the game and the universe itself. Like, at the end of the game where you've got that kid talking to that older person, like, if you didn't have that scene, you might be wondering how they heard about Shepard in the first place, if it's that far ahead in the galaxy, if, if it's however many cycles it's been. But if they found that time capsule, then, yeah, people are going to know about the story of Shepard if somebody's found it. Yeah. And it also gives you a good sense of the stakes. Like, if Liara is preparing for the scenario where you lose, then it's already got you thinking about the fact that you could lose. Kind of makes you realize how that scenario is very real, and it is real, because you can just shoot the kid and say, screw you, I'm 
not making a choice. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then, yeah, that time that time capsule actually comes into play in the ending. This is Doctor Tassoni. I'm flattered you contacted me. Most scientists dismiss my work, but I'm young and Asari, and they are getting older. So we will see who has the final word. <laughs> in the meantime. I'm happy to pass along my research. I hope what did you think about her inclusion in, uh, in in Andromeda? Is it good? Bad? Not really needed? Have you have you seen her interactions then in Andromeda? I've I've heard a few of her voice recordings that she's done. Hmm. I uh, think. She... Yeah, I think that's only her only involvement in the game. Um, it just depends on, I guess, if you listen to all of them. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're all kind of there at the same time in the same place kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I really liked it. And I think it's, it's the right amount for her to be involved in that game because mm -hmm. Mass Effect Andromeda had to be something new to people but also something familiar to other people. And I think it had to be a fresh start, especially with how different the endings could be to three. But you can't not have anything to do with those three games. You kind of need something. And having her in that, that form, in any form, is important. And I think it was just the right amount. Like, having those, like those notes where you just hear her voice and it's like it's not overplayed nostalgia like if you look at all those marvel movies where iron man shows up in 13 movies or something stupid <laughs> it's like at a certain point it stops being cool that he can fly and yeah. that's a really stupid example um <laughs> <laughs> but i'm just saying like when you see her come back, it's a really nice, sweet surprise because she shows up a little bit later at a point when you don't expect her to be there. And it's just the right amount to to want to see more, but in a good way. Like a, she leaves you wanting more of her, but you kind of can't because that time's over. You know, it's time for something new. Which is a little bit like... Um, of a stupid thing to say now because we know she's coming back but <laughs> when she wasn't coming back it was kind of a the right amount of her yeah yeah I, I, I don't know I, I feel it's almost kind of shoehorned in to Andromeda I mean the amount of people that there are in the universe it kind of just makes it a little bit more smaller when you've got somebody from the trilogy that's fair but how many how many people really believed the reapers were coming well that's true and, and therefore would have prepared for it so one one and, thing uh, i actually I mean, you, you played it more recently, didn't you? Have you heard those recordings more recently? Um, no, I'm not this not this time around. Okay, because 
I can't remember if she directly talks to Alec Ryder. Yeah, she does. She, she it's it's messages to him. So she so she talks to him and he talks back, kind of thing. It's a it's a back and forth conversation. Yes, I think. I think so. Yes, it's, was... it's like her her side of the conversation. So you don't hear what he said to her, but she like says, "Thank you for your recent message." Oh, okay. So it's not really back and forth. No, that would have been nice. I think. I don't know, but I suppose in the way that they did it, it felt more like she was talking to the player, which I think is kind of nice. It's a very clever way, I think, of saying. To somebody who doesn't know who she is, this is Liara, some random scientist, talking to Alec Ryder to explore the law of how the initiative got this, that, and the other. But to people who know Liara, it's Liara, you know? And it's a bit of nice little bit of fan service. To me, at least, it doesn't feel out of place. Like it feels like it's there for a narrative reason. It doesn't feel like it's just there to. Like it's obviously there just for the fans, really, but it it also works as its own thing without knowing who she is. What do you think of her coming back for four? Then what do you think uh, her role's going to be? I mean, why don't you tell me? Why don't you give me your speculation first? Okay, um, I think it's either one or two ways for me. When she she's walking through the snow, she's either she's either looking for Shepherd. Uh, rumor has that that survived, uh, yeah, the, the, and she's now looking for him, which she's done in the past. We know that. Or she's looking for something that Shepherd set up, like a a device that they had or something or the a MacGuffin or something. And on the way to finding this device, this MacGuffin or something, they come up shit that's when she comes across a bit of Shepherd's helmet and that's you know, she's kind of reminiscing of days gone by, that sort of thing. So she's def I think she's she's definitely looking for someone or something in order to avert the current crisis. I don't. I I would be surprised if we played as her. I don't think we will play as her. But yeah, I think that's that's where she's she's going to be. She's she's going to be. As much as I'd like to see, it, I really would like to see her being the main antagonist. I think that would be an awesome way to for her to to finish off. You know, in the 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 words of um, oh, I can't remember who it is now. But you either you either die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain. The Joker, I think it is, isn't it? From Batman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that that is absolutely perfect for her. She's done she's gone from being this naive archaeologist type to the shadow broker being the most powerful person in the galaxy. And saving saving the galaxy from the Reapers only to be the one that almost brings it to its knees again. And it's your job to stop her. I think that would be an amazing arc for her to go on. 
but she's I do think Iowa's favourite, and she said it's not going to happen. No, I do think it's a really cool and really interesting idea, though. Um, but yeah, I I get the impression that her role is going to be more like uh, like the wise person that you talk to on the ship kind of thing, the kind of, not grizzled, but the kind of experienced mentor character. Like, I think she'll, I think you can still kind of do that arc nicely and have her go from being naive to, because then you've kind of got an arc. You've got her being naive and innocent to being tough and, you know, still a little bit vulnerable to then going into her matriarch years of just being the wise person who who guides the next hero kind of thing. And I, I, I think there's something quite sweet about that as well. Yeah. And I kind of get the impression as well that, well, she's, she's clearly got a Geth companion in the next game in some form. Um, and I don't really believe that she would have this random geth and be a bad guy. I just don't think, I don't know. I just, I just don't see it like her being a bad guy and then just having, Oh, I've got my evil sidekick, this random geth. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like you go through the first game, killing however many geth. And then you've got the, the sub boss, a geth. Like it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It kind of wouldn't really work, would it? I mean, I, I think your idea is really cool. I think um, it would make a lot of sense for a character as well, like especially yes. after losing Shepard. But what else yeah, you have to live for? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and if you look at how obsessive she is, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, I, just, I don't think Bioware as... I don't want to say doesn't have the balls to do it, but I think they just love her too much yeah. to to write her that way and i think it's nice but it's like yeah i mean how powerful could it truly be and but you know you look at a game like last of us part two and suddenly people think oh, i'm not sure about taking these risks like oh what if it doesn't pay off what if yeah, it's done, what if it's you done wrong? like um like Mal Mal Walters said in the the interview we did with, the, with him and if you've you know, for anybody listening that hasn't heard that yet, make sure you go and go back and listen to that because it was a fantastic interview. Um, but yeah, he said that you 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 you've got to be careful when you're you're dealing with characters because you you're going to have people that love them and you're going to have people that hate them, and you, you you've got to go through the middle with them. You can't you can't turn somebody into a bad guy because you're going to upset half your your community aren't you yeah i think he said that about jacob yeah i think it was when you mentioned jacob and your theory about making him the kai lang character yeah for everybody um, that hate jacob there's going to be people that love him aren't they so yeah i think you'd be a bit more pressed to find people who like jacob more than tali for example but yeah, there was. There's definitely going to be people out there that like Jacob, um, and maybe maybe that's the exact reason. Maybe that's why I would imagine it's probably for the best that they play her safe, just to kind of 
make the next game a good experience for everyone because people have been waiting for a long time. If somebody's a really big fan of Jacob, don't know why they're a fan of Jacob, but if they're a really big <laughs> fan of Jacob and then they watch, and then they play the latest game that's taken I'm not sure how many years now, um, probably 10 years by the time it comes out um, since Andromeda, and then Jacob's just not Jacob. I don't know why I'm saying Jacob. Oh, I forgot what my point was now. But if a character you really <laughs> like, it's just like you're waiting this many years and then he turned out to be a bad guy. Liara. I should have just said Liara. If you're a big fan of Liara, she turns out to be a bad guy and you really don't like it. You've been waiting 10 years for that game. That's that's my point. And it, I can see that point of like trying to, you know, do service to the fans and stuff. Yeah, that's what it comes down to, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Going a little bit of a step back, though, is I do like her involvement with Javik. Um, see, I've, uh, no? It's been a while since I've played it. I know that she gets frustrated with him, doesn't she? That yeah, she has this not... big argument. She, she has an argument after they realise that her... Her her people were essentially given their, their special abilities from the Protheans, and the people that her people have worshipped are actually Protheans. And then yeah, she kind of has this big fight where, you know, Javik's just trying to be blunt and tell her the truth, but Liara's like understandably going through a bit of a crisis, realizing that her whole race's religion is a lie. And you know, she also saw her planet in flames that same day. So it's a lot to go through. But um yeah, I I think it's like it's a really good combination of having those moments where they're arguing, but also having um those insightful conversations as well. Like how she's so it's like she feels like that giddy archaeologist again when she's asking him all these questions when they first meet. I think that's kind of sweet. Yeah. And also, that whole thing, I don't know if you've, um, I mean, you probably did pick up on it, I'd imagine, um, the emails or the messages back and forth about them writing a book together. I think, is it Liara? I think Liara like, sends him a bunch of book title suggestions or something, like biography suggestions for like, yeah, the life of a Prothean. You can see that on the computer, can't you? If I remember correctly. I'll see it on the messages. Yeah. And then like if Javik actually lives at the end of the game they go and write that book together which i think is really quite sweet like the archaeologist who studied protheans for years is going off to write a book with the prothean that of which the species she's studied for all these years it's kind of sweet Then mm. they ride off into the sunset see <laughs> i mean you've you've got tally and garris who wind up together if you don't romance them why can't we get the javik and liara like romance if you don't romance either of them i mean no you can't romance javik but you know like why is it that tali and garris romance each other if you don't romance them but liara is just liara if you don't romance her she doesn't romance anyone mm. yeah it, yeah it's one of those isn't it i suppose if bioware that's once they they want you to yeah they they, they want you to romance her <laughs> Like if 
if he if she can't be with him, no. She if she can't have him, no no one can. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's it's very it's very clearly like she can't be with anyone if she can't be with Shepard. She gets very cross, doesn't she, if you if you re- reject her. Yeah. She would be a dangerous she would be a dangerous <laughs> ex girlfriend to have. Like Yeah, if you, you romanced her in the first game and then you you reject her in the third one, she gets very cross with you. Very yeah. snarky. Yeah, I would I would like to see a scenario where she just becomes the villain in three if you romance somebody else in two. Like never mind the Reapers, you've got to deal with Liara in the third game if if you've romanced like I don't know, Jack or Miranda. But yeah. I I think she's a really sweet and kind character deep down. But at the yeah. same time I I I do think she's at a disadvantage of I think not being in the second game as much. I mean, it kind of contradicts what I said earlier about I like her not being in the second game, but I just think she needed more more to go on, I think, than just the heartfelt cutscenes we had in three. So yeah, if you want to if you want to, to wrap up your your summary of, of Liara then, what has your opinion changed of her at all or are you still where you were at the start of this yeah, I'm I'm still pretty much the same. I think I've never hated her. Um, she still doesn't make my top five characters, but she's close enough to there because you you know she's just still a really sweet character and she does have a nice story arc. Yeah, I I, I just think you know it's it's a difficult scenario, and maybe having her in this next game will do us a favor and she'll become more of a favorite from playing her in the next game or, or or working alongside her and seeing her fully grown up that was a terrible yeah. summary but <laughs> <laughs> so yeah your... I, I i say she's she's still one of my favorites um if i'm not romancing caden or ashley then and it, it's usually liara <laughs> i don't tend to romance garris or or tally uh, i do like i mean it is a bit jarring her her personality change but i can understand they they needed to do it to keep her in the games i liked i really liked her dlc i thought that was fantastic i like her appearances in three and yeah i'm quite looking forward to seeing where they take her i I do wish they they would turn her into the bad guy but i say before i i don't think they've got the, the balls to do it to be honest uh, I don't think they would uh, upset the fan, their, their loyal fan base. I suppose they could do it if they give you the, the option to turn a good at the end, so you had the option to, you know, the, like the dark path or the light path. If it was a very well written story, again, if she was doing something what she believed was for the greater good, but on the flip side was going to cause a lot of pain, you kind of got that moral dilemma. Then, you know, they kind of. Do you do you save three people but condemn an entire world, or do you kill the three people and then save an entire world? It's the, you know, there's no good answer. It's like The Witcher, isn't it? There's no right or wrong answer. It's always bad or what's the the lesser of you know the worst of two evils sort of thing. Yeah, 
yeah I, yeah I, I yeah as i said i do i do really like the idea of being evil i think it'd be a great new side an interesting new side i'd like to see but yeah I'm not sure that they would do that unfortunately no but do you have anything else that you'd like to add um romance tally instead <laughs> no sister romance ash instead actually yeah I want romance in the space racist well, that kind of brings us to the end of this discussion. If you have any thoughts or comments or questions or ideas for future podcasts, then you can reach us at the LPcast at Outlook.com or you can message us on Twitter. Uh, my handle is uh, at Proppy54. Well, X now, isn't it? It's not Twitter anymore. Uh, or you can reach uh, Craig on uh, Twitter using the tag at Craig and his Mac and I refuse to say X <laughs> uh, or you can come join the discord again the link is in the show notes so that's uh, it from me uh, thank you very much for listening thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time commander <laughs> just because we, didn't, we haven't properly talked about my sec three, but I would like to just have a quick look at my notes. Just okay, I need to toilet anyway, so while you're doing that, I should be two minutes. Okay. Being treated like an adult, Shep takes her seriously and doesn't talk down to her. She is used to not being treated like an adult. Shep takes her seriously and doesn't talk down to her. Welcome to the Lazarus Project podcast. In this episode, we're talking... Uh, oh, no. What are we doing? <laughs> we are talking sh Yes. I can see you flashing, but I can't hear you. Oh, God. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> nope. I'm kind of just making noises. What? <laughs> Well, Tim has left me, but while we wait, here are some fun facts about Comrade Ferner. Whilst originally Comrade Ferner does not seem to have anything remotely approaching a useful skill, during his last appearance he reveals out of the blue that he holds a PhD in high energy physics. In fact, Comrade turns out to be the author of a hotly debated thesis about the effect of dark energy on the passage of time. Hello, I'm back. Hello. I don't know what happened there. <laughs>